0: This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Good morning, Mosaic Church. You know, it's just a joy to be here with you uh, this morning. I, I've really been enjoying these gatherings under the Cottonwood Canopy, and it's uh, Being in God's presence with fellow believers uh, just gives me enormous peace and comfort. And it really is a contrast, isn't it, to what we see on the news and the social media every day? It's a welcome reprieve from all the conflicts and the tragedies that we are collectively experiencing uh, during this, uh, this terrible pandemic. You know, lives have been lost as well as jobs, as businesses, marriages, savings, our personal freedoms. And on top of that, our hearts were just broken as we watched for days pictures of a black man being killed on a street in Minneapolis. Other deaths followed. Uh, There were widespread protests, even we saw them here in our city. And some of these uh, escalated into riots, and those caused even more destruction and chaos. Property and businesses were burned. Uh, Additional lives were lost. And we heard just uh, way too often the vitriol and the hatred being expressed. Um, it seemed then; it seems now that our country is being torn apart. And those were the thoughts that were on my mind when Adam asked me if I'd like to preach today. What's the subject? I ask. Pick a psalm, any psalm. He said. So I picked the shortest one I could find. Actually, I picked Psalm 133 because its subject is the unity of God's people. And I wanted to focus on something entirely different from all the turmoil that uh, we're seeing in the world today. So if you look at your order of worship or open your Bible, you can follow along with me as I read that, that psalm. Psalm 133, when brothers dwell in unity, a song of ascents. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please pray with me. Father God, we are so thankful for this place to gather and worship you. We ask for you to open our hearts and minds to the message you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit of background. Psalm 133 is one of the 15 psalms that are designated as Songs of Ascent. And as Rick mentioned last week, these were songs that the Jewish pilgrims would sing on their way up to Jerusalem uh, for one of the three prescribed uh, feasts of the uh, annual feast for the Jewish people. And of these 15 Psalms, King David wrote four of them, Solomon wrote one, and the rest remain anonymous. We do not know who the authors were. And we're not exactly sure what the occasion was for David to write this psalm, but. Most uh, biblical historians believe uh, that it was written to celebrate the coming together of all the tribes of Israel for David's coronation as their king. And there had been just so much turmoil and division under King Saul, uh, their first king. But Israel finally became a united and unified monarchy under David, and David was God's chosen man to be king. So I broke this psalm into three parts. There's three verses, three parts, right? A little bit different, though, not straight with the verses. The first, uh, first section is the qualities, the qualities of unity, and that's verse 1. Uh, the second section, illustrations of unity, and that's verse 2 and 3b, the first half of 3. And the third section is the nature of unity, and that's the second half of verse 3. So first, the qualities of unity, So in verse 1, David lifts his voice up in praise. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now, the word brothers can also be translated brethren, as brothers and sisters, or as God's people. So it's very clear that, that David is referring to the people of God who are living in unity here. He describes this as being good and pleasant. But to whom, we might ask. Well, first, it's pleasant to God. Uh, Scripture tells us, for example, God is not the author of confusion, but the author of peace. In fact, he's described by Paul in 2 Corinthians 13.11 as the God of peace and love. Secondly, brotherly unity is pleasant to us, his people. We know this from experience, don't we? And we certainly know the opposite of unity, which is division and strife. Thirdly, and we we do not want to underestimate this, it's pleasant to others. These are the men and women who are not part of the family of God. Uh, They see us every day. Uh, We interact with them, sometimes very closely. We are God's witnesses to the world. And when we live in peace and harmony, It's felt by everyone around us. Well, we might also ask, what exactly does unity mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean uniformity, where everyone thinks a lie and agrees on everything. That would be pretty unusual, and I don't think we should even expect that. Unity among God's people is characterized by love for one another. Uh, It's delighting in each other and promoting each other's welfare. And it's serving one another. Charles Spurgeon described unity uh, based on where it originates, the source of unity. Spurgeon wrote, think of unity as oneness, oneness of life, of truth, and of way. In other words, it's oneness in Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we are one in Christ, we will live in unity and harmony because our focus is on him and we want to please him. Now in our second section, David gives two illustrations of what Christian unity is like. And the first is in verse 2 where he writes, It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now here David is referring to Aaron, the brother of Moses, as he's being anointed as high priest of the nation of Israel. And all Old Testament priests after Aaron were also anointed and empowered to be mediators between God and his people. So what David is describing here is a consecration, the setting apart of Aaron as God's high priest. The precious oil was the fragrant, holy, anointing oil that was poured abundantly on Aaron's head. And the, the oil didn't remain on his head. It diffused. It ran down to his beard and then onto his garments. And in those days, a beard was a symbol of manhood. And it was an actual, it was an actual requirement for the priests to have beards. <clears throat> so as we're trying to envision uh, this, this picture of Aaron... We may be thinking about people that we know that have beards, and there are several men in this in this church uh, that that do have full beards, but they're trimmed, they're well groomed. I think to get a proper picture of Aaron's beard, we maybe need to think of something like a ZZ Top or Duck Dynasty, something of that nature. You know, the uh, Aaron's beard would have been long, extended well down onto his chest. And so this anointing oil was applied so abundantly, and his hair would have been long as well. It covered his hair, it covered his beard before it reached his royal robe. And the significance of this is really twofold. First, David is equating the unity and the harmony of God's people with the holy oil that came from above. They were both heavenly blessings. They were from the Lord, and they were both given without constraint. Secondly, because unity and harmony originate from the Lord, there's something that we, God's people, cannot attain on our own. We cannot attain it on our own. Unity and harmony are the result of God's grace. In other words, as much as we might desire it and as hard as we might work for it, we will never attain it unless it's given first by the Lord. But even though unity comes from God's grace, we have a big role in maintaining it. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul urged believers to do in Ephesians 4. This is Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. And Paul writes, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That is our responsibility, brothers and sisters. David's second illustration of unity is in the first half of verse 3 where he writes, It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. So here David is referring to Mount Hermon, which is actually a mountain cluster way north uh, uh Israel and the highest, highest uh, peaks in that area. The top elevation is over 9,200 feet above sea level and is clearly visible for many miles. Now these peaks are snow-covered most, if not all, of the year. And they, they melt and they feed streams and those form actually to be the, uh, the River Jordan, which flows down, obviously, through Israel. So Mount Hermon is a source of much-needed moisture for a very dry land. It flows from Mount Hermon to Zion, which alternately refers to Jerusalem and the entire land of Israel. Now, the magnitude of of Mount Hermon, I have not seen it personally. I've seen pictures of it. We can imagine Mount Hermon by comparing it to our own Sandia Mountains. Now, we look to the the west side of of the Sandias, They rise up about 4,000 feet from the foothills up to the crest, and they they are magnificent. I've always loved looking at the Sandia Mountains. Now in comparison, Mount Hermon goes from very near sea level up to over 9,000 feet. And that's over twice the elevation rise, the elevation gain that we see here with the Sandias. And Mount Hermon is much uh, lusher than our mostly dry mountains. I've read accounts by travelers and writers, uh, and they describe Mount Hermon's vegetation and moisture in in terms of awe. Campers describe the dew from the mountains to be thick and covering everything. It literally soaks all their possessions. Uh, One writer described the area this way, The foot of Hermon is clad with orchards and gardens of such marvelous fertility in this land of drought. It's really a source of moisture in life. So the moisture from the streams, the atmospheric weather patterns that are caused by this mountain, mountain clusters, height and humidity is transported downstream to Zion, to all of Israel and to Jerusalem, the city of brotherly love. So in this illustration, David is equating the unity of God's people with the essential life-giving moisture of the dew of Hermon. Just as the anointing oil is a blessing from the Lord, so too is this moisture. So we see the anointing oil as representing a spiritual blessing. We see this moisture as representing material blessings. So in our third section, David speaks to the nature, the nature of unity. And this is second half of verse 3. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. So I think to understand really what David means by saying for there the blessing is commanded is to look at who the blessing is intended for. The blessing of unity is for God's people, specifically those who are living lives of peace and harmony. David described this as being good and pleasant, and he illustrated the spiritual and material blessings that come from it. Now he explains that this blessing is actually a commandment, a commandment to us. And I like the way John Calvin commented on this. He wrote, there the Lord commanded the blessing. God commands his blessing where peace is cultivated, by which is meant that he testifies how much he is pleased with concord among men by showering down blessings upon them. The same sentiment was expressed by Paul in 2 Corinthians and Philippians. He wrote, live in peace, and the God of peace shall be with you. What a beautiful promise that is. So in conclusion, we know what the blessing of unity looks like and feels like. Unfortunately, we know too well what the lack of unity looks like and feels like. So what practically are we to do? Well first we fix our eyes upon Jesus who is the source of unity. As he said in John fourteen, twenty-seven: peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Secondly, we pray for unity within our church and with all of our Christian brothers and sisters. Jesus prayed for our unity and so should we. Listen to his prayer in John 17, verse 21. I pray, Father, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. And thirdly, let us remember that the blessing of unity is a commandment. Since we will live forevermore with the people of God in heaven, we should work hard to enjoy unity here and now. And finally, I'll close with some words from Charles Spurgeon again. Oh, for more of this rare virtue, not the love which comes and goes, but that which dwells, not that spirit which separates and secludes, but that which dwells together, not that mind which is all for debate and difference, but that which dwells together in unity. Let's pray. Dear only Father, we praise you because only you are, are worthy of our praise, honor, and glory. You are so gracious to us. Thank you for the wonderful blessing of Christian fellowship and unity. And may we constantly practice it with our brothers and sisters in Christ and help us to be models of your mercy and grace to those who don't know you. We pray in the name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives.